Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a fun show today. The offensive linemen and running backs worked out on Friday night at Lucas Oil Stadium here in Indianapolis for the scouting combine. And C-Mac and I are going to break it all down. But first, at the very top of the show, we've got Mr. Relevant, Louis Riddick, longtime NFL executive, ESPN analyst. He's going to join the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the formal interview process for a guy who's been in that room for as long as he was. It's kind of interesting to get some of his insights, some of his honest insights into some of the things that have stood out to him over the course of his career and some of the lessons he learned along the way. So we get a lot of that from Lewis Riddick at the top. After that, C-Mac and I are going to pick six players that are a little bit of the talk of the town after their workouts on Friday night. Draft buzz, we'll cycle through all the rest of the guys that stood out to us on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium, and then we wrap it up with our draft mailbag at the very top of the show. Before we get to Lewis Riddick, I just want to give you guys a quick reminder. Go into PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash journey survey if to fill out just a quick three to four minute survey if you listen to the show year round if you just listen to it during draft season it's a quick way just to kind of help us out get you know we're trying to make this show better for you guys at home so if you go and just take that quick three minute survey it's all about content just tell us what you like what you don't like about the show just a quick way to give us some assistance here as we move forward with this program moving into 2020 and beyond so you can do that philadelphiaeagles.com slash journey survey you can hit this right on your phone just by scrolling into the podcast description clicking on the link there of course you can always hit it on my twitter feed as well at fduffy3 all right let's get into the top of the show it's time for mr relevant it's time for mr relevant Well, really excited to welcome into the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, longtime NFL executive, current ESPN analyst, uh, Lewis Riddick. Lewis, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. This is cool. It's yeah. cool. No, it's, we're, we're here in Indianapolis. My, my first question for you uh, is when you when you get into town, mm-hmm. does, like, nostalgia, like, start to hit you? Like, what goes, is, does, do the interviews come to your mind? Do watching workouts come to your mind? Catching up with friends come to your Like, what pops in your mind when you think about, like, all right, I'm here in Indy, we're downtown, we're at Lucas Oil, like, what is it that, that first hits your mind when you think about the combine? Yeah, you know what? Really, the just the routine, it's, you just remember it so well. Right. About You know, you see everybody. Well, really, the first thing that pops in mind, you see everybody walking around with credentials around their neck. And, that's, and you see everyone. And this town is so condensed. And I don't want to say small, but it's a small downtown that you see everyone. You go, oh, you know, there's Coach Tomlin. Oh, there's Coach Belichick. Oh, there's Coach. And you, and you see everybody, like, all doing the same thing. Right. And so you quickly realize, you know, what the process really involves here. You understand that there's, you know, there's meetings, there's physicals, there's workouts. It's to the dome, back to your hotel, look over some notes, to the interviews, back to your hotel, get something to eat, go to sleep, wake up in the morning, go to weigh-ins, watch them lift, watch them get measured. Do some meetings. I mean, you know it's a process over and over and over every day, although they flipped it, you know, totally opposite now when sure. they interview guys in the morning and work out at night for our benefit. But you just know that it's very regimented. Uh, there's some long days, early mornings, late nights. But that's 
that's kind of like part of it. I mean, right you know, right, right. I mean when, I, yeah. when I was younger, when I was with Washington, as a matter of fact, some guys used to call it spring break in Indy because they loved right. coming here. <laughs> and remember, that's when it used to be it used to be a little crazy here sometimes as far as like nighttime, just people getting out and seeing each other right. and having some fun. But I think this year, because of the way they've changed the schedule a little bit, I think there's going to be some late nights here with us here watching guys work out and stuff. But uh, it's fun. I mean, you look forward to it every year, mm-hmm. although I will say come Sunday, I mean, people will be gassed up to hit the airport right. and get out of here. <laughs> so yeah. what was your favorite part of the process while working in Indianapolis uh, for Without teams? a doubt, the, the formal interviews are the best part, mm-hmm. is to actually see these kids come in. And I say kids only because, well, I mean, I'm becoming a little bit of an old man now. And these guys are young. I, mean, I have daughters their age. So to see them come in, you can see the anticipation, like as far as they're thinking, what are you going to ask me? You know, you can see when guys are – trying to safeguard and kind of keep back some of the information. They know they need to be forthright. They know they can't, you know, engage in deception. But at the same time, they're trying to put their best foot forward. And you, so you try and disarm them and really just get to get at authentically who they are. I always enjoyed that part. I, I really like that part. You know, the 40s are, are always cool just to see who's really fast out here. And, and the drills are fun. But, I mean, after a while, you kind of realize, look, I, I don't want to get too caught up in this because – I want to remember what these guys looked like on the field. And the further we get away from what they did on the field, that's where mistakes start happening. So I I didn't get too caught up in this part. It's really the interpersonal part where I actually got to talk to them. That was cool for me. Is there a... uh an interview or interviews that stand out to you throughout your career that were like, man, like I knew the moment, like I didn't have a, a feel of this guy when he first walked in, but yeah. after the interview, I knew this guy had it. Yeah, I mean, there there were a few. I mean, look, Russell Wilson's interview was like, I mean, it's like this guy could be president. Mm. It, it was ridiculous. J.J. Watt, I remember in particular, had a very, very impressive interview. Robert Griffin III had a very, very impressive interview. You know, one of the ones that still to this day just, bugs me because I remember it for the wrong reasons because I got the wrong impression and the guy wound up becoming one of the great players of all time in this league was Earl Thomas Mm. because Earl was very quiet very reserved you know about what he was saying and and I just kind of thought man this is a free safety he's supposed to be a leader he's you know he's at the command and control center he's a signal caller did you think I wanted yeah I I wanted him to be more like that but he was very quiet, and, I, and it kind of like led me down the wrong path as far as what he would become. And, that, and again, that's another one of the things that you learn here is sometimes, you know, in that 15 minutes, you don't have enough time to really disarm somebody and get to see who they really are. Because, right. I mean, they're, they're just trying to get through it sometimes because it's, it's nerve-wracking to have eight, nine people sitting there staring at you, knowing that, you know, a lot of times, <laughs> you know, I mean, as a player, I used to inherently think that scouts and GMs were looking for things negative about you. So you're going to try and safeguard yourself. You don't really want to let yourself, you know, shine too much or rather like kind of let your true self out. And I think with Earl, he was just kind of being very reserved that day. And I let it affect me when I was kind of evaluating him Mm. because he was fantastic as a player. And I think those are the things that you learn about this whole thing and you get better at as far as when you're just talking to somebody. And, um, that's why those 15 that's why even after this is over it's imperative that you keep going with that process of getting to know who these guys are and really try and get them in in an environment where you really get to see who they are cuz that's really what the interviews are about tell me authentically who you are not who your agent coached you to be or whatever preparation firm you went to you know prepared you for this not what they told you just tell me who you really are and it's hard to do that in that short amount of time Lou, when you scout the prospects on tape, mm. would you try to get a sense of their personality by the way they play on the field? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of shines through more times than not. What, what I wanted to see is if it matched up with how they were once you got to see them face-to-face, the ones who you were fortunate to meet face-to-face. And that's what I'm saying with Earl. It was, it was like two different dudes. Like, there's a guy here on the field who can play all these positions who's flying around like a kamikaze, but then when he came in here, he was very quiet. Mm. And, I was, and so it kind of, like, I don't know if it led me to not necessarily believe what I saw on tape because I was like, this doesn't really match up. You know, am I being like, what's the story here? So yeah, there, there's, but, but at the same time, there's, there's people who play the game one way, but they're not that way off the field. There's people who play the game like absolute killers. I mean, Brian Dawkins is that guy, right? I mean, I got to work with him at ESPN for a while and obviously he was in Philly. He was leaving right as I got there. Brian is as mild-mannered as they come. You know that when you're talking to him. I mean, he's as good a person, mild-mannered, and out on the field, it's just like, who's that guy? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, that, that's the challenge of doing this, is trying to figure out exactly what you're going to get, not just on the field, but off the field, people you can trust, people who you know are committed to it. You know, the old axiom, does he love football, which is so played out, but, it, it, but it's true. I mean, in, in some senses, how much does he really care about it? How much does he care about his family? How much is he going to care about taking care of himself? Those are all – that's what makes this so challenging, man, because there's so many variables. When you talk with scouts, like, around the league that have been at it a long time, they say, like, the, the more you watch guys, yeah. uh, you have that Rolodex of players that you can refer back to when you make, like, comparisons to players sure. on the field. Yeah. Is it the same way when you have those interviews? Like, man, like, this guy just reminded me of this player when he walked in. He had that same kind of presence and that same kind of feel. Yeah, yeah, you, you wind up doing that. There's, there's obviously guys who kind of set a standard of what you would like to see when they come into those interviews and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be great players but they're yeah you're right there there are people who who conduct themselves in an interview the way that that you're attracted to and you kind of go okay this is the kind of person this is how i want people to be you know rg3 didn't have a a great career so to speak you know as far as longevity is concerned but his interview was the way you want him right okay he there was nothing that this guy couldn't answer hmm. as far as off the field or on the field. He had every freaking answer. Russell was the same way. J.J. Watt, you just knew that, and J.J. wasn't even close to being as good as he became, but you just knew as a guy, you were like, I want this guy in my locker room. Hmm. I want to be around that dude right there. He, you know what? Another interesting one, look, Taylor Mays, when he came out of USC, didn't have a great career, but his interview, shit, I was like, man, I liked me some Taylor Mays. You know, big guy, looked good, was dressed real. I mean, he didn't have on a suit. He just had on some nice clothing. So you just, and you know when you're around people, yeah, you're just kind of like, carries himself I'd like, well. to, I'd yeah, like yeah. to hang with this yeah. dude a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's important. It's important. And again, that's the challenge of putting together the whole, the whole puzzle. Hmm. So sometimes guys do great in that. They get out on the field, they shrink. Some guys come in the meeting room, you can't get a word out of them. Go out on the field, they're animals. Hmm. It's like, man, so... That's what makes it fun. That's why we're all attracted to it. Sure. In those interviews, how do you balance the football aspect of the interview and the off-field stuff when trying to really get to know the players? Yeah, I think a lot of times with the off-field stuff in these interviews, you, you just want them to be, as long as they're truthful. Let, let's just put it that way when you're talking about balancing off-field with on-field. So if you have good reports on a guy when he comes in there you generally are expecting him to come off that way you don't want him to come in there and act like a jerk all of a sudden you know where you're going okay have i been deceived by this guy you know people said he was a good guy but this guy's really rubbing me the wrong way and at the same time if you know there's some bad information about a guy meaning he's done some things wrong and you kind of get around to asking him about it 
and he either tries to downplay it or just flat out lies to you about it, which that has happened too in my experience, you don't want that either. You just guys want to authentically be who you are. There's nothing worse than someone who was something to your face and behind your back is something else. There's nothing worse than that. Andy used to talk about it all the time, about trust. That's what it is. Don't, two things Andy used to say you know, when we were there was don't steal and don't lie to me. Because if you do those two things, then you pretty much, you've ruined it with me. I can't deal with liars and I can't deal with people who take stuff from me that isn't yours. So that, that's, all, that's all you can ask for. Because look, if you weren't still interested in a guy, even though he had some baggage and he'd made some mistakes, you wouldn't have brought him in there and interviewed him. Right. Okay, what's the point? You don't have enough time. So you, you're willing to work with a guy, but then if he tries to, tries to lie to you about it, it's just like, well, now you've wasted my time. Now I'm ticked off. Now I'm just get out of here. And I've seen, I saw that happen too in interviews. I saw Coach Reed, basically we're talking to a guy, and the way he was acting, I could tell it turned Andy off like that. Huh. He was like, you can end this interview and send him out. So that, those, are the, those are the things that you're trying to find. And really, I mean, it's, I think Bill Polian said that it's like speed dating, and it is what it's like. You're trying to, you can't find out everything in that amount right. of time, but that's what you have to work with. So you try to make the best of it. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you about is just, you know, I, I saw last week on Twitter you were uh, effusive in your praise of Jerry Judy. Yeah, and talking about, you know, A lot of talk about the wide receiver position mm -hmm. uh, for the Eagles in this draft mm -hmm. and, you know, his teammate Henry Ruggs mm -hmm. and the 40-yard dash. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at speed at receiver, at that position in particular, how hard is it as you're leading up to the draft in a, in a personnel room and you're trying to gauge, like, all right, this guy could be available or he could not be available based on, you know, because that, that speed could be such a wild card. Yeah. How much can that affect your ability to kind of project this guy may or may not be here for us when it's all said and done. Yeah, I think what, what that requires, obviously, is for you and your scouts to have a good feel for how the rest of the league is talking about someone in order to determine what the price is for this guy and how far up you're going to have to go if you want to work with him, even if it makes you uncomfortable because you – I mean, that, that's really what – the draft really is just a pricing mechanism, right? I mean, a lot of times you see guys get overdrafted simply – well, they get overdrafted because people become enamored with certain physical yeah. characteristics of, of a guy, and it is tough sometimes. You don't – some guys you don't have a good feel for, and sometimes you have to overshoot just because you heard a rumor somewhere somehow about some team that has, you know, had him in to work out. A certain wide receiver coach or offensive coordinator said he really likes this guy. But that's what you're paid to do as the final decision maker, to try and figure that out. That's why, really, when you hear GMs talk, the best, very best GMs, they just tell their scouts, look, don't worry about the price points. Get the information. If you hear somebody talking and you know we're interested in a guy and you hear people saying we have him valued here, take the information. Mm. But don't you worry about it. You just evaluate the player properly. As the decision maker, I'll decide what price we pay and whether it's too rich or not for us. Sure. And that's... That's why you're paid what you're paid as a GM. And sure. it ain't always easy. And sometimes you make that pick and people sit there and go, how did he pick that guy that high? And you're just like, well, if it was so damn easy, you'd be doing it. And you would be nailing all these guys. And it's hard. Right. It's sure. hard because, I mean, the guys get emotional in draft rooms. Yeah. You know, when people are on the clock, people get fidgety, man. People get tight. That clock's ticking. Yeah. They get tight, especially when owners are sitting there looking at you and you're, and you're picking, like, in the top ten and stuff. It's amazing how, like, people all of a sudden their lips get tight and they're just like – it's, it's a hard thing to do, but that's why we love it. Yeah. Well, Lewis, really appreciate the time here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Best of luck to you guys at the broadcast Absolutely. this week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for Pick 6. 
All right, so before we get into pick six, I'll welcome in uh, Chris McPherson, C-Mac. Uh, Good day, Fran. O- overall takeaways from uh, from Lewis Riddick. I love his analysis on ESPN. Yeah. I think he does a phenomenal job. He's very passionate about the game. If you follow him on Twitter, it comes through. When he really likes a player, yeah, he doesn't he, hide he it. He doesn't hide it whatsoever. Yep. And that's, that's why I wanted to know the discussion. That's why I brought up during an interview how when you're looking at a player – and you're seeing how he plays, do you want to see that play personality carry over to how they are off the field? And it's difficult sometimes because he kept bringing up, uh, he brought up the Earl Thomas, uh, you know, what he learned from that. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. From that situation, but it immediately made me think of Brian Dawkins because he is the exact same way. Like, I instantly thought of it, and then I'm like waiting for him to kind of reference it right. since they're past cross in Philadelphia, and sure enough, he did. So uh, it, it's a very difficult ongoing process of just taking lessons you've learned from previous draft mistakes and, and trying to get better from them moving forward because it's so hard. It, it seems like most people feel like they can get the stuff on the field from a tape standpoint, but it's trying to figure out who that person is going to be. And that's why actually one of my favorite questions to ask prospects here in Indy is, you're about to become an NFL player. You're going to have the pressure of being a, a high draft pick. You're going to have you know, you know, money in your pocket. How are you going to be prepared to handle that? And that's something that a lot of these guys, some of these guys have good backgrounds that they're able to have uh, people around them to support them, and some do not. And that's why some guys don't make it in the NFL. Yeah, it's uh, certainly the part of the process that makes it the inexact science that it is. But uh, really great insight there from Lewis Reddick. All right, C-Mac, let's get into pick six here. Six guys that worked out on Friday that really kind of got the buzz going uh, here in Indianapolis with the way they worked out. I'll let you kick things off. I really feel bad with this one, okay? Really feel bad because I'm like, you're going through which of the guys' offensive line, it was the offensive line and the running backs who worked out, and you're like, which guys should we pick from? And to me, this one's a no-brainer. Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. I almost wanted to say, can we do pick six? Tristan Wirfs, okay, was was a star of the night. Can we do the six other players? But you go through the timing and testing drills, okay? An offensive line best, four eight five in the 40, okay? 36-and-a-half-inch vertical, the offensive line record for the combine, okay? 121 inches in the broad jump, ties the offensive line record at the combine, okay? So the timing and testing drills, outstanding off the charts then you get to position drills and his change of direction was so fluid he was quick out of his stance very smooth they have the the new version of the mirror drill where yep. where it's not before it was they had another player who was the rabbit now it's just a coach and it was actually former eagles offensive line coach juan castillo just kind of points so it's, a, it's very similar if you're familiar with the wave drill where the player has to get up off their stomach, and then they're going back, forth, and side to side. It's almost very similar to that. Sure. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if that changed moving forward. But he was just very, very balanced throughout the entire workout. The mirror drill, I, I put that especially. So, and you just look at the body composition, um, especially the quads. The lower you know, half is ridiculous. Just, just so, so impressive. So uh, Tristan Wirfs, he's one of the players who. Even if you're a casual draft fan, he's a name you feel like you've heard since the very beginning, going back to the the summer and probably like the early, early 2020 mock drafts that he was in that top 10 discussion. Uh, certainly to me cemented that he should be one of the first players off the board in this and, draft. And there's so much from his profile that you have to love too, right? I mean, the body you talked about the body type. He's got the length, but you know he was the first freshman, first true freshman to start a tackle 
for Kirk Ferentz at Iowa. Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa like my entire life, and he's been uh, the first true freshman to start there for the Hawkeyes, a team that obviously consistently churns out talent along the offensive line. So uh, that speaks a lot. You're talking about Robert Gallery was a number two overall pick. Brandon Scherf, a top five pick. Uh, Some great prospects have come through there. He's the first to ever start as a true freshman. Uh, High school state champ as a wrestler in high school. People love that. Uh, Also a great uh, track athlete as well. So uh, this is a guy that has this background you have to have to love uh, you know very decorated career but overall this is a big strong powerful human being that explosiveness showed up uh, on the field here but uh, a really fluid athlete and I agree with you in the drills uh, looked awesome as well just really fluid twitched up really really impressive performance from Tristan Wirfs uh, I'm gonna go with the guy that I was really really excited to see work out and that's Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor matched everything we expected, right? I mean, he ran he ran sub 4-4 in the 40-yard dash at over 220 pounds. That's an excellent speed score. What's a speed score? It's a weight-adjusted look at the 40-yard dash, and it's especially prevalent for running backs. Football Outsiders created this formula uh, a few years ago. Well, I shouldn't even say a few years ago. A long time ago, uh, and it's really all it basically is is uh, the, the weight times 200 over – the 40-yard dash to the fourth power. So uh, you math people will be able to get that. But ultimately, you all math that people, you math people. I'm not a math person. My sis, my little sister is a, a math teacher. She is the math person in the family. So I always refer to her, you're the math person. You figure this out for me. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Taylor, though, uh, you know, blew that part of the workout out of the water, uh, was really good in the rest of the drills as well. Most importantly, perhaps... Did a really good job catching the football uh, in, in Friday night's workout. Uh, a lot of those running backs, honestly, uh, you know, after each group goes, I'll just kind of assign like A's and B's to mm-hmm. the guys that worked out, some C's as well. But uh, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor, he got an A. You know, and I think that when you look at the way that he worked out, I think that's really big for his stock moving forward in terms of teams having a little bit more faith that he can be a true three down back. He caught the ball well, I thought, on th- Friday night. Uh, by the way, if you haven't read the Fran Duffy cheat sheets, to this point, yep. uh, two for two here. You know, talking about with the guys you brought up. Uh, you know, in terms of looking at, they were both my stopwatch shockers for yeah. uh, for each position group. Yeah, so uh, great pick there with Taylor. He was the first running back I actually had listed as well in terms of overall workout, both the timing and testing and position drills. So uh, definitely agree with that one right there. So uh, I'm going to go with another offensive lineman, and I actually I'm going to have a, a bit of a hot take here for a second. Okay, and I said this to you when we were watching the workout yesterday. Most fans, and I'll go NFL fans, even casual fans, the talk of this draft has been the really, really deep wide receiver class. And certainly Eagles fans are paying very much attention to it. But after watching these offensive linemen work out, I'm almost maybe a little more excited to see what's going to happen with these guys. Uh, Just because of the depth, uh, the top-end talent that appears to be here in Indianapolis, very excited for this offensive line, I, I think in a – Howie Roseman said this. It's an offensive line deficient league. This is a year I think that teams can stock up on that talent, not just a tackle, interior line, depth throughout. So uh, this, again, it was very tough in terms of trying to figure out narrowing down the top six. Um, and I'm going to steal a line from you here, Fran, because you said this when we were walking out of the workouts last night. I think the theme with the offensive line is the cream rose to the top. Yep. And Alabama's Jedrick Wills is going to be the second player I'm going to bring up for pick six. Uh, Watching him go through the mirror drill yesterday, I said, if I want to pick a player from these workouts who I need to win a game of Dance Dance Revolution, 
I thought Jedrick Wills would be my guy. That for whatever reason, busting out the DDR take. I like that it. for whatever reason that popped in my mind while watching him go through it. Um, we'll start with the timing testing drills: five oh five in the forty, thirty four and a half inch vertical. I, I mean, these guys are out jumping some of their wide receivers. I mean, it's, Tristan Wirfs jumped ten inches higher than Jerry Judy and Ceedee Lamb. At like a hundred pounds heavier, hundred and fifteen pounds heavier. Silly. And Will, Will's the same thing. Will's was just two inches behind right. Worfs. Okay. Uh, hundred and thirteen, way above average in the in the broad jump. Um, thought he was outstanding in the pulling drills. Uh, violent hands, uh, just across the board was just so so much fun to to watch him. So uh, it was great seeing Will's, and then two players later it was Worfs. Uh, that back end of the offensive line group, which was interesting because the story for the first group, they they pretty much they divide the offensive line into two groups to going through the workouts, just you know alphabetically, and there was a war of attrition with the first group where it's a mash unit out there, where it was supposed to be twenty players total in the group, and I was just doing a quick count right before the podcast, and I think eight players either did not work out at all or didn't finish, so those drills went by very fast, yeah. and in the second half, it's like. Every single guy is, for the most part, working out. So it made it a little bit longer. But to get to the back end here with Wills and Wirfs, certainly worth it there. Yeah, I think uh, certainly Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs were the two linemen that uh, at the tackle spot that really rose to the top uh, on Friday night. I'm going to go with another guy that uh, was from that first group. That's Ezra Cleveland uh, from Boise State. Uh, if you look at the raw numbers, was really, really impressive. Uh, 4.93 in the 40-yard dash. 4.46 in the three-cone, C-Mac. It's a better time than any offensive lineman drafted in the last 10 years. Uh, Outstanding, outstanding number in the three-cone. Or that's in the short shuttle, rather, not even in the three-cone. Sorry about that. Uh, When you talk about Ezra Cleveland, he is a really, really impressive player um, uh, in terms of his athleticism. Now, uh, excited to see him from a a film standpoint. I actually haven't even gotten to him yet. Uh, This is a guy that... Um, a lot of people uh, talked about leading into the 2019 season. He was a little bit banged up early in the year. So uh, some of that film uh, you know, wasn't the best, especially early on. They played Florida State week one. Uh, some people are wanting to see a little bit more. But in terms of guys that generated some buzz, uh, Ezra Cleveland uh, really showed up well uh, on Friday night. Yeah, again, it was fun to watch these offensive linemen. So I'm going to go with a – not an offensive lineman in terms of a big man. I'm going to go with a big running back uh, who really stood out, A.J. Dillon, okay? Again, another guy you mentioned here uh, as one of the most productive college players. Wasn't as productive as Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but, but still very productive. Still very productive. I think you said it was the first Boston College running back to have consecutive 1,000-yard rushing seasons, and if he, I'm correct. He was first to do it as and a freshman and a sophomore. And, and then, then he, he had a third one. <laughs> yeah, so for good measure. But we have a guy who – Ran four five three in the forty. Okay, good for a running back, but he's doing it at six feet two hundred and forty seven pounds. Okay, yeah. so big big boy right there. But I thought he was great in the position drills and did a great job of catching the football out of the backfield. Just pretty much every route that he ran, you know, smooth transitions, uh, great in and out of his cuts, caught the ball well, no drops whatsoever. Um, you know. Was great on the blast redrill where it's like a you know read and recognition type drill. Uh, really, just top to bottom was checking the boxes all throughout the night. And even our audio engineer, podcast producer Maven behind the scenes here, Peter Kelly, he was like, "Which one was a uh, RB8?" And I was like, "AJ Dillon." He's like, "Yep, that's my guy." So there you go. So every everyone was uh, 
you know, he got the attention of everyone there in attendance. Yeah, I'm going to stay at the running back spot for my final guy. And um, this is an interesting evaluation because when you look at Cam Akers, uh, the junior from Florida State, the tools have always been there. The production was not always there, and the film didn't always look great because uh, I would say it's kind of similar to Jalen Rieger, C-Mac, where uh, you know, the, the production fell off this year just due to the, the, the supporting system around him. And I think when you look at Cam Akers, he's running behind one of the worst offensive lines in the entire FBS at Florida State. Uh, did not always look clean for him, and he was a, a guy who's only been playing the running back spot now for three seasons. He was a high school quarterback that uh, threw the ball a decent amount. It wasn't like it was like an option quarterback. So... I think when you look at Cam Akers, uh, his best football is likely very much ahead of him. Uh, catch, catches the football very well. I thought he looked really impressive uh, in that area on Friday night. But ultimately, this is a guy who's really athletic. He's tough. He's a high-character kid. Uh, the way that he worked out, I think, has a lot of people thinking, okay, this could be a guy that uh, you know the arrow is pointing up on moving forward. He might get... I don't want to overdraft is not the word, but drafted higher than where his film may show uh, going back to even just 2018. Uh, but ultimately, uh, I think Cam Akers had one of the more impressive uh, personal workouts uh, on Friday night. He was good, and, and it's very interesting. I thought DeAndre Swift was solid. Yep. I thought he did a good workout. Yeah, he did. And when you look at the running back group, there's not a guy, it's not a – you know, a Saquon or Zeke Elliott or Christian McCaffrey, who are you like, this guy's a top 10 guy, okay? And, you know, I, I think when you look at most mock drafts and you talk to people who do mock drafts, I think they're kind of almost struggling to say, where's a guy going to go in in the first round? It's probably going to be in the back half of the first round, but it's going to be very interesting that once a guy does go off the board, because the depth at the top is pretty good, and I think Cam Akers uh, very much is putting him in that discussion to be maybe not the first running back selected off the board, but could be the second or, or third guy up there. So uh, very, very good workout. And, again it's, again, it's making this job very tough for teams who now have to go back and go through all these guys and say, all right, how are we going to sort these out? So it's going to be things like medical and interviews and, and the little things that will help be, be tiebreakers. But uh, a lot of guys here at Indy helping their cause. So those are the six players that uh, we felt generated the most buzz coming out of Friday night. Now let's kind of put a ribbon on the rest of the workouts here. It's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, C-Mac, let's, uh, let's start with the offensive line since that's the group that worked out first okay. uh, amongst the two positions. Uh, and again, like we did yesterday on the podcast, we'll reflect on my uh, positional cheat sheets to kind of start the conversation. So my workout warrior wa for the offensive line was Sadiq Charles, the left tackle from LSU, got hurt uh, very early on, got hurt yep. right in the 40. So uh, throw that one out for me. Uh, off the <laughs> radar was Alex Taylor, uh, who has solid workout. I thought he was okay. Um, Tarantula think, was what you called him. I did. It, it's the it's so freakish because he's, he's all arms and legs, man. Um, I mean, he's he's something to look at. I, I mean, it, it's crazy when you see him on the field. Like it's to the point where when you when you're standing out in a group of offensive linemen for your body profile, that's when you have to say to yourself, that's that's a massive massive human being yeah when you look at the the weight adjusted stuff it's it's gonna look just solid i think you know the broad jump at you know 116 inches really really impressive he's 308 pounds he's got 36 inch long arms he's got over 11 inch hands i mean he's uh a monster of a human being so uh you know i still feel good about my off the radar but i would say uh, some of these guys probably outperformed him a little bit my um, stopwatch shocker we said earlier tristan Wirfs, and i thought josh jones the tackle from houston would kill the drills and i think he did i think he had a solid workout overall the left mm -hmm. tackle uh, from Houston, but uh, one guy that we just have we haven't hit on him yet that 
I think generated the most like wow moment maybe of the uh, combine so far was Makai Becton, uh, the tackle from Louisville. Talk about massive. Sorry, I, I used massive for the wrong wrong player here. So. I, I mean, he's 6'7". He's 364 pounds. That's heavier than any tackle drafted in the last decade. Uh, Do you see the one note from Daniel Jeremiah, actually, though? What's that? Okay, so for the first oh, the time... Oh, yeah, that's right. I did see this. Yeah, so for the first time, they do the weigh-ins, okay, when the players first arrive early in the week, but because there's an extra day between the weigh-ins and the actual workouts, they're doing another quick weigh-in right before the workouts begin. And I guess it's just to see you know, how much water are these guys losing? What do these guys do? Do they just try to get to a certain number on the official weigh-in day? So Becton actually was 357 pounds, seven pounds lighter. So so sorry to take a little tangent well, there. but the, the record, I don't want to say the record, but the heaviest tackle drafted in the last decade was 358. So yeah. just, shy, just shy. He's there. Uh, he's, he's, there. he's just about there. He goes and he runs a 5-1. <laughs> he's like, what? That's ridiculous. Uh, and then he ends up getting hurt, unfortunately. So yeah. uh, felt felt terrible for him coming off the field. Uh, you could really see the uh, the disappointment in his face. But uh, a guy that certainly uh, helped himself just with one test. Exactly. Uh, you know, we didn't get to see him go through anything else. But uh, Makai Becton, certainly a guy uh, that impressed with what he did uh, early on in the workout. But a couple other guys. And, and I, see, Mac, I mentioned to you, I said, uh, the cream rising to the top of the offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. To me, there were three guys that were in a tier by themselves with how they looked in the positional workout. It was uh, Tristan Wirfs, yep. it was Jedrick Wills, yep. and it was Michigan center Cesar Ruiz. Yeah. Those were the three guys that I thought, man, like uh, every drill looked exactly how, in my eyes, it should look and just looked outstanding from start to finish. The workout, the, the testing was good. The positional workout was uh, just as good, if not better. Yeah, Ruiz, again, you mentioned the timing and testing numbers, just good across the board. Uh, thought he was very explosive you know, coming out of the pulls. Uh, very good in the mirror drill. Uh, stayed low, showed good form in the pass, pass rush dropping drills. Uh, just top to bottom was just checking all the boxes. Very solid. And, you know, Every year, there's gonna there's an interior lineman, especially of late. There's an interior lineman who's gonna surprise you with where they go uh, in terms of uh, how early they go in the draft. And I think Caesar Ruiz has put himself in position to be that guy this year. I 100% agree. I think he's the guy. You know, he's over 320 pounds, and the way that he moves, uh, I could see a team you know pulling the trigger there late round one, early round two, uh, a little bit earlier than maybe people thought. But uh, he's a guy that really stood out. Matt Hennessy, uh, the center from Temple, yep. I thought was it looked really good across the board in most drills. Um, Hakeem Adeniji, the, the tackle from Kansas, who uh, has you know could potentially play a little bit of guard, has played some center throughout his career as well. Uh, this is a player that I think has the versatility, the athleticism, the demeanor, seems like a really nice kid as well. Uh, off the field, uh, I thought he had a good workout from start to finish. Big fan of Adeniji going back to the senior ball. Yep. That's first caught my attention, I think, one of the days he was like my you know practice player of the day or, or pick six you know guys who stood out um but good numbers in the uh in the vert 34 inches 115 inches in the broad jump solid 517 in the 40 yep was quick around the edge showed good punch uh just another guy who's using the draft process to his advantage by turning it out in in the senior bowl and then having a good job good workout here in, in Indianapolis so three guys just to wrap up the offensive lineman or the offensive line that uh 
kind of under the radar. I felt just kind of dude, it's a really good good stuff. Okay. Uh, John Mulchin. Uh, What's it? Do you know? I knew not a thing about him. He was on the, he was on Bruce Feldman's freak list. Okay. Um, okay. So you know we expected some uh, athletic numbers, and I thought he did a good job there. Uh, but just in the positional workout, I thought he flashed. I thought he solid. again checked a lot of boxes, looked really solid. Uh, you may have seen him on the broadcast. He's the one with the uh, very demonstrative mustache. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> That's a good so way to put he, it. So he had he had that going for him, uh, and then. You had two other guys, uh, Danny Pinter, the center from Ball State, a crowd favorite, because uh, yes. he was a local uh, local kid, Ball State, uh, not far away here in Muncie, Indiana. And then John Runyon Jr., uh, I thought had a, a solid positional workout. And then you go back and you look at the athletic testing numbers, did a really good job across the board, and I thought he helped himself here on Friday night. Yeah, fiery demeanor. I mean, you know, he's probably going to be a late-round pick, not going to be probably, yep. you know, day one, day two selection, but... Uh, his dad, uh, you know, Eagles great. He was down there. He was down there on the field, proud papa, watching him. And, you know, John Runyon Sr. has said that his son uh, is more athletic than he is. So if you can combine the demeanor and, and the athleticism, you know, someone's going to get a player who could possibly play in the league for a long time. Another guy who has got versatility, has played both tackle spots, he's played guard. Uh, some people view him as a center as well. He's taken some snaps uh, throughout the course of the pre-draft process. So uh, someone to keep an eye on here. Uh, a couple here, let's move to the running back spot. Uh, mm -hmm. Just getting back to that cheat sheet. Workout warrior J.K. Dobbins was announced just before, uh, I believe it was on Thursday, that he was not going to work out. So, uh, unfortunately, my workout warrior for this position thrown out the window. Uh, off the radar, Levante Bellamy ran his 40. He pulled up. So, yeah. uh, he did not run as well because uh, he pulled up with an injury. So, another uh, another mash unit here for me. My stopwatch shocker we talked about earlier, uh, Jonathan Taylor. will kill the drills. Running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Oh. I thought he was one of my A players at the running back spot. Across the board was excellent. He was one of three running backs as well who stayed after to do some receiver drills. Good point. Uh, so, so did some things there as well, kind of showing off that versatility that we all know he has, and we've watched uh, LSU this year. But uh, this is a guy that caught the ball well, has got lightning quick feet, uh, did everything really, really well at a high level. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, look, he didn't run the fastest 40. A lot of people didn't expect him to run the fastest 40. So I don't think you dig him on that. This is a guy that checks all the other boxes in terms of uh, what you want at, an, at the running back's Spot in the NFL, especially today's NFL. Okay, where, where the running back needs to be involved in third down, not a single drop, caught the ball cleanly across the board. Yep, uh, show good vision in the off tackle read and, and the blast read drills. Uh, we have to talk about real quick. Forgot to mention a little earlier with the running backs, new drill this year. Okay, the Deuce Staley drill. The Deuce Staley drill. You go through all these drills and they're named after routes and the different things they do. How many are named after a player? Okay. The Deuce Daily Drill, and uh, I was able to catch up with Deuce uh, after he ran the drill last night, and he actually had Darren Sproles, okay, who recently retired. He's now working as a personnel consultant for the team. Uh, Darren Sproles modeled the drill for the players before they did it, and the reason for Darren being out there was when the Eagles acquired Darren Sproles back in 2014 in a trade with the New Orleans Saints, Deuce Staley was like, I need a special drill for this guy, okay, to help him with his quick feet, his change of direction, to be able to improve it on a day-in, day-out basis. And he didn't feel like there was any drill out there that could do it. So he actually came up with this drill just for Darren Sproles and has incorporated it into his routine ever since. And a couple weeks ago, 
Uh, Kevin Colbert from the Steelers, the longtime general manager of the Steelers, uh, who was there in Pittsburgh when Deuce Daly was a player on their Super Bowl championship team, reached out to Deuce and said, can we incorporate this drill into the combine workouts? Because that's the biggest thing. You look at the offensive line drills, you look at the running back drills, lots of new position drills being incorporated. And I think it's largely uh, to showcase what is being utilized in today's game because you saw a lot a lot more variety in the pass routes no doubt. from the running backs last night. So very, very cool cool to see. Great to see Deuce Daly get that moment on the NFL Network broadcast. Great to see Darren Sproles model the drill. And I was I was impressed to, to hear the story behind it. Deuce was actually like, it really should be the Darren Sproles drill because I came up with it for him. So uh, great to catch up with Deuce last night to talk about that and to see Darren uh, down there as well. The players that I thought ran it best, uh, I thought Cam Akers uh, hit it out of the park. Eno Benjamin was outstanding going through the bags uh, in that drill. I'm just kind of going through my notes here, the guys that really stood out. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, as I mentioned, uh, I thought did an outstanding job in that drill. Uh, Josh Kelly was solid, but Javon Leak, the running back from Maryland, who uh, is in a kind of a, a return specialist, uh, was a change of pace player for them. I thought he was really good uh, going through the bags mm. in that drill for uh, for Deuce and for Darren. Um, just going through the rest of my Your boy notes Zach here. Moss, I thought did a good Zach job Moss did a good job. Uh, Lamichael P. Ryan from Florida had a good one. Scotty Phillips, the running back from Ole Miss, uh, was really good there. DeAndre Swift was outstanding. We haven't talked enough about DeAndre Swift yet. I thought he checked every box. Uh, yeah. To me, I think. It's him and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in terms of who are the dynamic three-down backs uh, in this class. I think those two guys really showed out well uh, on Friday night. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, he looked really good, actually, as well, uh, going through the backs. Keyshawn Vaughn, the running back from Vanderbilt. We haven't talked about Vaughn. I don't think that he's getting, just kind of looking around and you know, following social media on, uh, you know, between uh, the, the end of the workout and, to, and right now, I don't think enough people are talking about Keyshawn Vaughn, the running back from Vanderbilt. I thought he had a really strong workout. Uh, this is a guy who's got long speed. He showed that on film at the University of Florida. Run game, pass game, doesn't matter. This guy was a big play waiting to happen, and I thought he showed some of those, some of that juice uh, on Friday night <clears throat> and also really light feet going through the bags. I mean, you're talking about firecracker feet, getting, getting them up and down. I thought this kid uh, looked really impressive uh, on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium. I thought he was good uh, from a pass catching standpoint. The third back who did the receiver drills. Salvin Ahmed from Washington. Yeah. And I thought he showed that throughout the course of the positional workout was, was very good from that standpoint. He had one drop early, but afterwards caught the ball cleanly, especially when they started getting more vertical down the field on the wheel route. So uh, I also thought he was good in the Deuce Daly drill as well. So um, he was another player. When you're looking at those three down backs who can help in the pass game, thought very much helped himself here. You know who I thought caught the ball really, really well as kind of an under-the-radar under, under the radar player <coughs> was uh, we just talked about DeAndre Swift, his backup. Uh, let's uh, go one. Brian Harrion, uh, really, really natural catching the football. Uh, I wrote down numerous times, really soft hands, where uh, he's catching the ball. You can't hear anything. You don't hear a sound in the stadium. It just kind of shows off uh, just how naturally he was at plucking the ball out of the air. He made some really nice catches. Had a one-handed uh, well. catch. Had a one-handed one catch in the, the flat. flat. Yep. yep. No, no question. So uh, Brian Harrion, I thought, uh, had one of the more impressive workouts as a pass catcher. Josh Kelly, uh, the running back from UCLA, a favorite of yours. Rocky. Um, you know, I think that Josh Kelly uh, had a, a pretty good workout overall. Um, not a perfect workout. I didn't give him an A, but uh, the rest of those guys uh, I thought were really impressive. Uh, we didn't talk too much about Eno Benjamin. 
Benjamin. Um, he caught the ball well, really good feet in drills. Uh, was able to navigate through tight spaces, you know, kind of navigate the bags really well. I thought he did a good job overall uh, from start to finish. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else who we uh, who missed out on, but no, I really think of all the guys. I think you did a great job there wrapping up those uh, last couple of guys we need to touch on. So. I think when you look at who are the guys who help their cause, I think we pretty much came up with a list here for you. Yeah, I think so. All right, let's get let's uh, get to the end of the show here. It's time for Draft Mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, so as always, before we get into our Draft Mailbag questions, uh, just a quick reminder, go on to wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Spotify, you can go to YouTube, wherever you listen. Leave us a five-star rating. Leave us a comment. If you leave a question, we'll answer it here on the show. Uh, we've got a couple here. Uh, Free Boosie left a five-star review saying, makes, makes me a smarter fan. Love the draft process, and this is the best draft podcast out there. Would highly recommend to anyone interested in NFL prospects, even if you are not necessarily an Eagles fan. So uh, thank you very much for that comment. Uh, let's go to a question we've got uh, from Herbicidal. Good question here, C-Mac. Okay. <clears throat> I know what X, Y, and Z receiver positions are, but don't know the individual traits that receivers need to have for each position. Can you please explain? So uh, real quickly, the X receiver is on the line of scrimmage. So this is a guy that, number one, has to be able to beat press coverage. You're going to see press more often than not when you line up at the X receiver position. Uh, they're often called the split end because they typically line up opposite the tight end in the formation, mm -hmm. so to the weak side of the formation. And they also can be isolated to one side of the formation. So when you hear us say uh, a three-by-one set, that one receiver is your X receiver. So this is a player that has to be able to create separation on his own. He's not going to be running all the time uh, as a part of two or three man route concepts. So uh, that means you may have to win vertically. You've got to have some speed, but also laterally, you've got to have that quickness to get in and out of breaks uh, to win at the top of the route. So you're talking like prototypes here, you know, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, they're the prototypes, big, strong, but very dynamic athletes as well at the X receiver position. Uh, the Z receiver, on the other hand, is off the line of scrimmage so they're lined up to the tight end side they're called the flanker they flank the tight end they're off the line of scrimmage so this guy can be put in motion he can be used in different ways you can get a little bit more creative with him and since he's off the line he'll typically see a little bit less press coverage so you can quote unquote hide a guy a little bit easier there um, but also you can get a little bit creative but that being said, since he's to the tight end side, you want this guy also to be able to handle, handle himself as a blocker. He can't be uh, a soft, finesse player to that side of the field. And then the Y, in my lexicon, that would be the tight end. But uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the, the slot, slot receiver yep. here. Uh, you know, Some people may call that seem like the F or the H. Uh, he lines up inside, obviously. In this position has just evolved over the you know the course of the last you know decade plus. I mean it used to be um, you know it was typically your small short short shifty guy uh, but you still see those guys but you also see bigger physical players that are lined up in the middle of the field regardless you need that toughness to be able to work in traffic. You're going to have a lot of bodies working in the middle of the field. You're dealing with linebackers and safeties, so you want a guy that can handle working in traffic. You want someone who's very reliable as a pass catcher inside. So uh, you know it's a lot like a tight end. You're dealing with all of that traffic. A slot receiver doesn't usually see a lot of press coverage because like the Z receiver, they're off the line of scrimmage, but unlike the Z receiver, they've got a two-way go you know, because they can release inside towards the middle of the field or outside towards the sideline. So typically, defenders are a little bit less likely to go up and press them because you've got that two-way go. You can win in a couple different ways there to keep the slot corner uh, on their toes. So typically, you're not going to see a lot of press 
in the middle of the field. But regardless of all this, C-Mac, I think it's important to note that in most offenses now, guys have to be versatile. They have to be able to play multiple positions. So um, you know, you're not going to be just an X receiver, just a slot receiver, just a Z receiver. Uh, and I think we've seen that in Philadelphia. Guys are moved around the formation, Certainly. Uh, lined up in different spots. And uh, you know that just helps uh, keep the target off your back as a receiver. And you, know, you don't know exactly where you're going to line up. And you can be used a lot of different ways by the coaching staff. Which is why, I'll preface this here, the fans – are going to hope, hope the Eagles use a high pick on a, on a wide receiver. Totally understand that you want to give Carson Wentz a stable of weapons. But guys are going to need time to take a transition because a lot of them are learning multiple positions, and some for the first time. So I think that's something that's very important to keep in mind when you talk right. about, you know, as they're making the transition and getting acclimated to the NFL, that's not just, you know, I'll put them up out wide. It's they're going to be having to learn the nuances of, of every single position. Uh, I'll throw this at you quickly if you yeah. want to answer. Sure. Do you have an idea, to go back to Herbert Siles' question, uh, a prototypical X, Y, and Z for <clears throat> from this draft class? Or, Ooh, from this draft. From this draft class. Or maybe not prototypical, but just a – Sure, 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 You know, sure. someone who might, you know, might come to mind who, like, kind of fits the bill. So, so Ruggs – Henry Ruggs is, like um, – I mean, he is your, he is a Z, uh, but he but yeah. but also I think he could play X as well because um, you know he he's got that ability to create some separation down the field as well. But I think ultimately you really like him as your Z receiver, kind of move him around. He's tough as a blocker as well, uh, so you're not worried about um, you know that end of it. Because uh, this, I think, comes into when you look at the draft evaluation. It's not just that they're going to play a receiver; it's which type of receiver. And you know, I know you and Ben love having this philosophical argument of. You know, you can't just put every receiver, even though all the receivers work out together, they're coming in such different shapes and sizes yep. and styles that it's like it's, you know, with some of them, I'll, I'll use the apples or oranges uh, comparison there. Yeah, I think when you look at, uh, you know, who are the, the Z receivers, there's a lot of them in this class. I mean, uh, Jerry Judy, I think, could be a slot or a Z. I think uh, CeeDee Lamb is a Z. I think Jalen Rieger is a Z or a slot. Uh, Henry Ruggs, I mentioned, I think is probably more of a Z. I think you look at Justin Jefferson. Uh, this is a guy that had lined up primarily primarily in the slot. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like his ability to play Z or to play X as well. Yeah. I think he can get off the line of scrimmage. Uh, he can cr- certainly can create his own separation. Uh, so if you're going to line him up outside, I think he can go and win as an X. Uh, KJ Hamler, more of a Z or a slot. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, more of a Z or a slot. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, he's got the ability to line up anywhere. Uh, you know, from a physical standpoint, I mean, he's got the tools in his body to be able to win in a number of spots. Uh, you talk about those bigger wideouts, right? So T Higgins. More of a more of an X, right? Antonio Gandy, Golden, uh, Michael Pittman, those guys are X's. Uh, you know, I think that you again, it, it goes down to um, teams when they have the receivers up on the board and you're stacking by position. They're not just having it as wide receiver. They're going to have it by the positions they have on their depth chart. So they're going to have all these guys stacked as you know slots X, Y, Z. You know all that different. They're going to have all of those uh, kind of built in and. That's across the board. You're talking about both defensive end spots. You're talking about both tight end spots, uh, both corner spots, both safety spots. So uh, they definitely divvied up a little bit differently than uh, how you'll see in you know NFL.com or ESPN or the Athletic. You know, no matter where you look, uh, it's a little bit more broken up for sure. Mm-hmm. 
So um, that'll do it. Uh, fun episode here, breaking down the running backs and the offensive line. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to break down the front seven. That happens on Saturday night. Uh, the edge rushers, the defensive tackles, the linebackers, they all take the field at Lucas Oil Stadium. We'll be back here tomorrow to break it all down for you, tell you exactly who stood out here from the NFL Combine. For CMAC, I am Fran. For Peter Kelly, thanks as always for producing in the back. We are going to see you tomorrow.